0: Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse, and a new feature, Samson.
1: What? I'm Jesse. I'm Josh. (laughs) And that's Samson (laughs) This is Samson I was like, are you going to like make like a mime him or something like that? No, he's just going to bite me (laughs) (laughs) Um, And this is a show all about saving the best and burning the rest And today we are welcoming a brand new, well, I I, I have to say two co-hosts Because I think Samson is just as much a host He's already gone
0: away He's 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 already gone, all right
1: All right, he has no dedication All right But um, hey, we are super, super um, blessed to welcome another Josh onto the show. Yep. Uh, we are not running out of Joshes. There are so many Joshes there, in this there are, world. There are too many Joshes. Uh, but I mean, look, oh, we're getting
0: getting closer to replacing Stothers in a sense because my last name also starts with St. Um, yep. Yeah.
1: Yep. And you're from so, Melbourne, just like and Josh. I'm from would. Melbourne as well. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the stars are aligning. I, I don't know what happens in Melbourne, but there's just a lot of Joshes down there, man. It's crazy. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> taken over, taken over slowly. Um, yes, but surely. Slowly but surely, the
1: Joshes, the Joshes will triumph. Josh Revolution. Uh, I'm scared. I'm terrified. Um, <laughs> but hey, uh, Josh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Introduce yourself to the uh, Burn the Haystack family. Uh, who yeah, who, who, the heck are you, man?
0: Who am I? I'm just a random that's decided to join the show. Um, but no, no, no. I'm a 23-year-old. I have just finished at Avondale College studying ministry and theology. And I've moved back to Melbourne, which is my hometown i um, pastoring at two churches down here. I've got a Dandenong Polish church and the Wonturner Polish church. Um, so that's me. I own a Golden Retriever. He's four months old and a lot of fun. And I just want to say I'm a, I've been a listener for um, for Ben the Haystack since day one. I remember when you guys first started, Josh would uh, send me messages like, Hey, what do you think, man? Any feedback? <laughs> <laughs> what should we talk about? I'm like, Oh, it's awesome. Like, I love this. I was like a massive promoter of you guys at the college. Hey, have you guys, you guys, you guys like uh, podcasts,
1: check out these guys. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that Um, is so kind. Thank you so much. You guys
0: got me through, um, summer work. So uh, during summer breaks, I do laboring work. Okay. And I would literally play like you guys for eight hours as I worked in (laughs) the hot, hot summer.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm glad that we can provide some some distraction from some of the hard work and and all that sort of stuff. Oh, that is so that's so cool. Um, and and we did not just get Josh on the podcast to to shill for Burn the Haystack and tell us how amazing we are. Uh, yeah,
0: I'm, just get, I'm getting um a subsidy on the side here from this.
1: I mean, look, past being pastor is a hard work, hard job. We don't get paid that much, so we oh, no. we take what we can we'll do get. What we you can. Know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, hey. So I'm really excited to have Josh on the podcast. Um, I'm. I'm just going to tell you guys right at the bat. I asked Josh what we he wanted to talk about, and usually I get like a message from somebody. Oh yeah, maybe this or that. He sent me eight pages of notes of what we're going to talk about today. So, I mean, get ready. Take this
0: opportunity seriously,
1: ladies and gentlemen. This this guy, I think you're taking "Burn the Hate" this episode of "Burn the Haystack" more seriously than Josh Stollers and I have taken any episode <laughs> ever. <laughs> I don't think we've ever done eight pages of notes, so we're going to get through every single one know. of those. A lot of burning. Nah. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot of burning, so I'm excited. Um, do you want to tell uh, the people, sort of in general, what we're going to talk about today?
0: Yeah, um, totally. We're you know, looking at the season we're in right now with COVID and, and church life and, you know, um, it seems to be easing up, especially in Australia and New Zealand contexts. Um, but there's still a bit of awkwardness about what we're doing and, and how we can move forward as a church. So we just want to unpack some of that, what we can do moving forward. And I got some cool analogies and Ill- illustrations and articles that I've been reading through that I just want to talk about. Uh, looking again at online church and what we can keep doing as you know a church community to, I guess. Being and fulfilling our mission, and how we can go about that, and what we can do as leaders.
1: So good. Well, I'm super excited. Um, But of course, before we get into the topic of of the day, we have to do the most important part of the podcast the the question of the week. So, uh, my question Where was the uh, I I know I'm going to do the the question of the week? Oh man, Josh is gonna hate us if, if hate me if if I keep mocking him this much about question <laughs> of the week. I love it. Um he's the hype guy. I, I gotta admit, he is the hype guy. So yeah, not having him around is is uh, you know, gotta hype us some hype more, guy. Josh. Yeah, yeah. All right. So the question of the week is um what would be your last meal? All right. So in the unlikely scenario that you were on death row for crimes against God and man and you were given one final uh, meal request what would that final meal uh consist of uh hey and you don't have to say tofu it's okay um A
0: stack?
1: no <laughs> A stack. <laughs> gluten steaks gluten steaks all right now you, now that all the good sev- sevies have said amen you can tell us what you really think
0: dude, honestly the first thing that came to my mind kfc a box
1: that's yeah uh, it seems pretty good good
0: no as soon as you said last meal i'm like kfc
1: yep yep there's something uh, there's uh, something uh, about uh, about, it, about it hey
0: yeah and like you you know you're just like salivating about it but then you have like the most regret after eating it like, That's right. KFC has like the highest
1: taste to regret ratio. That is so true. That is. So-
0: <laughs> like, ah uh, man, I remember days at college, like you mm-hmm. walk into the cafe, you're like, yeah, I'm not having this meal. And all the boys just go to like KFC. Morissette KFC, man. Morissette KFC, so much money from college. <laughs> all right. And, uh, you know, I know the boys, they were like, yeah, yeah, we'll go to KFC tonight. And I'm like, no, no, boys, I'm trying to be healthy. I'm trying to be healthy. Um, And then, you know, I've done my classes for the day. I'm like preparing a meal and they're like KFC and I'm like looking at my meal and I'm like, yeah, KFC.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think I have rose-tinted glasses about that KFC at Morissette. Like I I don't know I've met, I've come to any other KFC that quite compares to the majesticness. It's just there's nothing else. Yeah. And then if you were in a particular – but here's the thing. Here's the thing what you could do if you go to Avondale. or Avondale people will know this. Mm-hmm. If you go to KFC and you're like on the edge, you're just a little bit – I'm not sure if I want to do KFC, but I'm coming along with everybody else. There's always the option of subway across yeah. the road and you could feel a little bit better about your choice. I never went to subway. <laughs> never.
0: <laughs> not once. <And> Four <laughs> years at college, not once did I go to subway.
1: Oh, I love it. Oh, that is so funny. <laughs> you know, I think that KFC is one of the smallest KFCs I've ever been to. It's so tiny, but it's so good. It's I just in, don't know. It does its thing. Yeah. What would your last meal be, Jesse? <laughs> um, okay, well, I'm going to have to go um, I'm gonna go fancy because I think that's kind of what I've become known for when it comes to food, uh, uh, being a little bit of a snob. So I'll, I'll go the snob route. Um and I'll say my last meal probably would be a beef bourguignon. Oh, bougie! Have you ever have you ever had beef bourguignon? I don't know. Maybe explain <laughs> yeah. the You don't know what it is. What is this bougie dish? <laughs> okay, so it's French, as you probably can tell. Um, but it's a beef burgundy, right? So it's oh, it's, yeah. it's 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 a nice cut of beef that has been mm-hmm. braised in uh, wine. Um, and it's fine to, to eat because all the alcohol gets um, cooked out uh, if you're then, an Adventist. Yeah. And you're like, what, Jesse's <laughs> cooking what? with wine? What are you what? doing? What? <laughs> but then um, it, so it's a nice cut of beef with um, mushrooms and uh, onion and carrots. So it's beautiful and sweet. Um, and it's got this incredible gravy that, that it cooks in mm. these, these braising juices. And then um, you can serve it over a, a lovely bed of mashed potatoes, Oops. and it is the most. Did you make me real hungry right now, <laughs> bro? It's it's so rich, it's so just luxurious. You feel upper class. You feel bougie when you eat it. I
0: feel like that's a good way to go
1: out. I think so too. Like yeah, I'm, I'm just
0: gonna have like massive regret, and then then I'm gone.
1: I don't. I think I think we're hitting. I think we're trying to hit the sort of the same same place in a way, but just differently because mm-hmm. when you eat bouffe bourguignon it you feel real heavy because it is a heavy dish it's Mm. a heavy it's french there's a lot of butter and it's it's beef and there's mashed potato a lot of carbs and you know protein all that sort of stuff but i feel like kfc circumvents all the 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 prerequisites all the preamble and just goes straight to instant satisfaction but then it adds on that extra layer of guilt at the very end sort of thing i don't know I thought about first. this very deeply. Have I you made? It. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? I have a couple of times. Are it's so cooking? Yeah, I, I've made it. I've made it. I think twice because it's, it's an expensive dish to make. You want a really nice cut of beef, so you want like a, I don't know, like a scotch. No, not a scotch fillet. More like a, just like a real rich one, like one mm. of the expensive cuts. So you really want something like that, and then you got to pair it with some some wine, which I don't really know how what to buy, so I just buy something and then it ends up being really expensive. So, yeah, it is it is what it is, but it's it's really nice and it's really nice in restaurants especially. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, so that is our final meal. Uh, let us know in the comments what would your final meal be if you had to, to choose one. Yeah,
0: you're going the bougie route or you're going fast food?
1: That's right. That's right. Or is
0: there an in-between? That we're I missing? reckon...
1: If you if you could go bougie, do you have a bougie option? Because I have a I have a I have a cheap option. Oh, and, and,
0: and not off the top of my head, no. Okay,
1: fair enough. Well, I'll just say that if I no, had I'm not to go, bougie enough. Sorry,
0: uh,
1: <laughs> bro. Jesse Herford. Oh, bro. Nah, I'm sure you're fancy enough. Uh, if I was to go real cheap, it'd just be pizza. I just like a really good pizza. We're talking so. like five dollars, $5 Domino. Okay, maybe not that. Maybe not that cheap. (laughs) Maybe like a nice wood fire. Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. A Paulie's pizza. A Taj Mahal. Ooh, I go for a Taj Mahal. That was a good pizza. Mm. Anyway, these are like Avondale references that nobody else is going to get. So I apologize. Very very enclosed here. I apologize to our US and worldwide audience. Yeah. All right. So let's get into something that everybody can appreciate and understand, and that is our. I guess the season that we're all experiencing mm-hmm. together. Um, and as you said at the top, you know, there are some of us like here in Australia and New Zealand, uh, we are looking at the other side, the, the sort of the light at the, tun- at the end of the tunnel a little mm-hmm. bit. That isn't the case in uh, most, I would say most parts of the world right now. Um, but nevertheless, the conversation is, is happening. Um, if, if you could kind of, you know, where would we want to start with this? Where where would you want to start with this? This whole conversation about what we do post COVID.
0: Uh, well, I think like you guys have brought up this illustration a few times, um, and you say, you know, do we see this as an interruption or are we seeing this as a disruption? You know, and if it's an interruption, then it's you know just impacting us for a small amount of time. Uh, we you know we wait it out and then we go back to to how it was before. Whereas a disruption, it's totally stopping the way we do it with you know, coming to a halt and we've got to like pivot and relook at it. And you've used that a few times and I've loved that illustration as well, but I came across this other one that was really interesting and insightful to me. And it says we can either see this as a blizzard, a winter or an ice age. And so a blizzard is when there's, you know, a short, short, intense storm, you know, you, you stock up your supplies, you race to the shops, you get your toilet paper and you you stock up at home. And you, you, wait it out. It's, you know, short, short term. There's a focus on, you know, okay, how long do we wait this out? Is this a couple of days? Is this a couple of weeks? But you know, once the blizzard's done, you go back to normal. Mm. Uh, and then you can see it as a winter, which is like a longer season. And you know, you change what you wear, you change what you do, you change those activities. Um, and it's a sort of medium term that, that you're preparing for in the winter. Um, you but you know, are you ultimately
1: you are ultimately waiting to go back to normal at yeah. the end of this medium term sort of scenario.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then So Blizzard you can think of in terms of like weeks, winter yeah. in terms of months. And then lastly, the ice age. This is a you know, things don't go back to the way they were. You need to find a new way to survive and, and thrive and you need to adapt and rebuild.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So the question then that we're asking, I suppose at the outset is which one of those three are we experiencing right now? Would that be fair to say? Yeah.
0: And I feel like we've all experienced the blizzard. Yep. Uh, you know, we <laughs> sheltered in at home. Yep. We, you know, <laughs> got our supplies. Yep. Those that you could get from the shops. <laughs> um so we I, I feel like we've passed the blizzard because some of us were starting to out. About, you know, you can go to the shops, yeah. you can go to a cafe now. Um, yep. What's it like in New Zealand? Is it, can you go to a yeah.
1: cafe? He, yes, yes. Here in New Zealand, we're, be, we're better off than in Australia because yeah. we can have full, unlimited gatherings. Um, they just started mm-hmm. up the the rugby here again. Um, and I believe it was in Wellington, um, there was a game on the weekend, 43,000 people packed out the stadium. So because so there ze- is the zero cases. And there are, um, yeah, there are zero active cases in in New Zealand right now. So basically, the New Zealand government has been like, yeah, we can pretty much go back to life as normal. The only thing that is different is that obviously the government is still encouraging people to do social distancing mm. at their own pace, um, personal hygiene, and if you are coming into the country, which very few people are. But, so, the borders are still more or less closed. Um, but if you do have to come into the country, you still have to self- quarantine. Um, but, yeah, we've been over two weeks now without any new cases, and last week, our last active case was uh, recovered. So we better are
0: spot.
1: we're yeah, we are in a better spot right now, so, yeah.
0: And I feel like, yeah, so we've, we've definitely passed the blizzard, I feel like, in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and we're sort of in this winter where, you know, there's still social distancing in place. There's still certain things we we can't do. And there's this awkward, are we in the winter? Are we going into ice age? Is it going to be an ice age? Is it going to go back to normal? Will yep. these be removed? But, you know, the data sort of saying that, you know, it's going to be like this for, uh, you know, 18 months. Almost two years, uh, a while, and so that sort of leans into it being an ice age. Because when it's an ice age, you know things are going to grow differently. Things are going to adapt and then move into a different direction. The way it was, you can't do anymore.
1: Um, yeah, I think I think at least here in New Zealand, and certainly in Australia, because Australia is in a very good place. I think Queensland is is one of the best states off right now with zero cases or something like that. That's at the time of this recording, but. I think there's a tendency, because things have gone so well, for us to think that we're past the worst of it. Mm. And that may be true here in the South Pacific. Um, You know, many of our Pacific uh, island nations didn't even – they weren't impacted at all. Like, you know, many of them just – they closed their borders and they were fine. So, I think in this fortunate part of the world, there is a tendency for us to think that, okay, the worst has passed so that we can just relax But the thing that's going to continue to hang over our heads is the lack of a vaccine and -hmm. the fact that you can be infected with COVID um, through, you know, traveling or contact or whatever and not have symptoms and still be um, uh, contagious. So the fact that we don't have a vaccine yet and the fact that a vaccine, even once we do have it, will take Many months, probably Mm. what you said, 12 to 18 months. I think that's probably fairly accurate to roll out. I don't think that we are – I don't think we can just go back to normal. As much as, you know, 43,000 people in a stadium feels like we're going back to normal. But each one of those people and all of us now, COVID is still hanging over our heads because we don't Mm. have an actual way to – eradicate the disease fully mm. just yet so and i think people that's are important going to be
0: cautious people are still yeah. going to be yeah there are going to be something yes let's go back to church but then there's going to be others who are who cautious and be like well no i don't i don't want to i'm vulnerable i can put other people at risk and there's going to be a lot of i guess you know divided um focuses from people
1: yeah yeah
0: like yeah i know mm. like some churches here in melbourne have, have opened back up but they haven't got the, you know, regular attendance, what they had, you know, people are scared to go back.
1: Yes. Yes. And that's, that's true. I mean, even before we went into fully full lockdown, we, I started to see it because I I went and preached a bunch of different churches in our region. And I noticed that churches that used to be full of a hundred, 200 people, uh, less and less. And, And part of our challenge in our local context here has been keeping engaged with people, even when we can't see them. And that, has been a huge challenge for everybody in the church world because the reality is that even if we do social media stuff online with sermons and church Mm -hmm. online and Zoom Sabbath school or Sunday school groups or small groups or whatever the case may be, there are some people that take that physical distancing and they don't engage online. And when we're coming back, sometimes, as you said, some people are just saying, hey, I don't really want to come back to full church just yet um that's going to be an interesting tension to navigate i think there are going to be a lot of pastors especially frantically going we have to get our people back to church mm. but i'm not sure if that is the yeah. right is that, attitude to be cold? having is that the aim <laughs> right you know and then
0: like coming back like looking at this blizzard winter ice age you know what's our short medium and long term thinking here i think yeah. we're so captivated on what are we doing right now you know, what are we doing these next few weeks, months that we, so we're sort of neglecting what it could look like in a year, year to come. Yeah. And what practices can we put in place? Like now, what decisions can we make now that are going to impact us, you know, later and going to help and benefit us later. You know, I remember hearing this, this quote and it says, you know, we overestimate what we can do in like one year and underestimate what we can do in five.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. And so we have this lack of like long-term thinking, long-term planning.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll speak for myself and saying that my short-term decision-making processes have me kind of exhausted at this stage. Mm. Um, I don't know how it's like for you, man, uh, but I think for many of the pastors that I rub shoulders with and many of the church leaders, we have had to make so many quick decisions, um, you know, that it has been really tough to even think forward. Mm even for the for the end of the year, like I just got together with my leadership team this past weekend and we said, okay, what is our overall goals for the rest of the year? Because our entire strategic plan that we had um, from November last year that we were supposed to be implementing for this year, that's all gone out the window um, because none of it, all of it was contingent on being able to do church activity as normal mm-hmm. and we haven't been able to do church activity as normal. And so- now, when I sit down with my leadership team, many of whom are much more educated and capable than, than, my, than I am, um, even they are kind of stuck because now coming back into full-time normal church, we're going from week to week. And so, even now, we're struggling to get into that Ice Age mindset, even though we all know it. Um,
0: and I think it's hard because none of us, no one's been in this place before. You know, leaders that we look up to haven't been in this place before. It's a a crisis that they're going and experiencing too. And so I think that's why, you know, you need to look at your context and look at what you can do in your context. You know, so often we look to what other people are doing, but can we look at what's possible in our communities? Yeah. And I think it's going to be different for each community.
1: So can we drill down a little bit more on the, the whole Ice Age mindset and talk about, like, as you say, it's going to be, you know, different, when we think contextually for each community, but are there some principles that we can uh, apply no matter where we are about how we think about church and leadership in our in an ice age sort of, uh, Oh, by the way, where did you get this? where did you get this, uh, this thing from? Did you come up with this?
0: No, no, I found it in an article. Uh, I'm not that smart.
1: Okay. Oh. Oh, well, <laughs> uh, we, we can link it in the, the show notes. Sweet. Uh, I can send it to you. Um, and we can-
0: <laughs> Sounds good. Table. Yeah, so there's a there's an article on this. There's a podcast on this. Um, coincidentally, the where I got the website I got from has slipped out of my mind.
1: All good. Um, we'll we'll sort it out later and we'll insert it in here. And then I just
0: found it like a really really interesting analogy that they used. Yeah,
1: yeah. So what what principles do they or you recommend for um, thinking in a uh, ice age mindset? So we so we just really clear about this on a general sense.
0: I think one of the biggest thing is like knowing, knowing the why yeah, and that big question of why are you doing this? So often uh, we focus on like what and how we're going to do, but we don't unpack and, and drill into to why we do things. Mm. And I think it's so essential just asking that question. Why are we here? What are we doing? And and your why should drive your, your what and your how. But so often yep. we talk about what we do or how we do these things, you know, what we do, we, we you know, we do a church service. We do, you know, a couple of songs. We, we preach a sermon. This is how we do it. Okay, why do you do it? I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's what my parents did. Yeah, It's, it's what my Sabbath school teacher taught me. It's what my this person said. And, mm. you know, you can ask your your members in the church, why are we here? And you'll get five different responses from five different people.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I mean, as young leaders, I think we've had this yeah. conversation so many times with ourselves and hopefully with the the people above us in seniority. Mm-hmm. Um, the why, okay, so let's be very practical. The why when it comes to um, the church, I guess, is evangelism, is spreading the, the gospel, building the kingdom, Um how would you? How would you define it?
0: i reach people for Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> real, so real simply.
1: It, it's not it's not rocket science, right? It's not yeah. like some big complicated thing. So that's our why. That's a very simple why. You know, as Jesus said, "Come and follow me." So we invite <laughs> other people to and, follow and go Jesus. Therefore,
0: and make disciples.
1: Exactly right, Matthew twenty eight. So that's the why, and. You know, I find it very fascinating in the Gospels that, you know, in the Gospels, in the epistles, in the in the letters, there is no, apart from, you know, maybe the stuff that we see when Paul talks to the Corinthian church about how you are supposed to implement the why. Like, mm-hmm. there are some very broad principles and and all that sort of stuff but there's no sort of okay so you have to have three hymns and you have to have a sermon it has to be at 11
0: o'clock
1: it has to be at 11 o'clock on a saturday morning (laughs) you have to wear a suit you have to be in this building speaking from this pulpit and the and you sit in the
0: same pew every week no one takes your pew
1: oh and there has to be pews remember (laughs) (laughs) i don't even know do ancient peoples know what what a pew was (laughs) like do they even know what that was no questions on the pew (laughs) Exactly, you have to stay awake the whole time. Actually, that may not be a bad idea because there are many people who fall asleep in church. If the, the chairs are too comfortable, the wooden cues. Let's go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Go back. <laughs> yeah, but
0: we don't. We don't really see any of that in scripture. And like you know, we're never given like how to do church. We're given a way a way to be church.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, we don't. We're not given a, a, a method of how to do church, but we're given a way. To do church? Wait, say way again. To a way to be church? Yeah. Ah, that's quotable, man. That's I like that. <laughs> Tweet that. <laughs> Tweet that's that's a tweetable. If this was a Kerry Newhoff um, podcast, <laughs> you could actually copy and paste that.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have it on our um, the, Burn the Haystack blog.
1: Yes, it's yes, finished. I love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah so, so I I think that's so true. Um, and yeah, like. You
0: know, we're so focused on, on doing these things and then keeping this structure. And yeah, yeah, structure is important, but I think it can be flexible and you can move it and you got to try and experiment things. And, you know, what worked 10 years ago isn't necessarily going to work today. <laughs> Yet we're right. keeping things from hundreds of years ago.
1: So true. So true. And
0: I think of this quote, um, uh, I think Socrates said it. He said, you know, an unexamined life is not worth living. Hmm. An unexamined life is not worth living, and, and so many of us just go through the motions of not only life but but church, and we don't examine why or, or what we do or the reasons behind it. But when we start unpacking, you know, the why and the whats, and start to question things, it starts to bring more depth and meaning out of it, and we can st- and things can start to find their place. Mm,
1: I like that, yeah, I like that a lot. An unexamined life is not worth living. Uh, okay, so then let's 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 make this contextual <laughs> An unexamined. Model of mission and evangelism, <laughs> yes, is not worth living or implementing. Not worth, not worth implementing. Mm. You know, I think. I mean, look, we 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 could very easily get into a discussion about holy cows, and you know, <laughs> very all easily. that. You know, like.
0: Jump into twenty rabbit
1: hole. Absolutely, we could. We absolutely could. But I think maybe what would be more helpful. And I, you know, I loved how you talked about, you know, what's your why? You know, it's such a Simon Sinek thing to say, mm. um, and that's so powerful. Um, we know our why. You know, even the most uninformed Christian knows their why, because it's not that complicated. And we've already we've already mm. talked about that. Do we
0: make it too complicated?
1: Well, maybe that's maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's the thing do we? I don't know. I
0: don't know. We put so many layers into church and got so many hoops you have to jump through.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Are I, we I overcomplicating mean, it too much? I remember like just coming back to it, like the first week we sort of went into lockdown and we couldn't do church anymore. And we made it like, Oh, what are we going to do? And, and luckily our church was, was set up with cameras. Um, Cause we've been streaming for quite some time. Um, and so we had it set up and we just made it really, really, really simple. We just had a hello and a welcome. Um, we had someone playing piano, not even singing, just playing piano. And the lyrics like came up on the screen. And so you could sing at home or just listen along, whatever you wanted to do. And then we just had a message and that was it. Yeah. And I remember one of the the guy who did the, the welcoming with us, he was like, wow, that, that was church. And that's what church can be like. That was so simple and raw and amazing. Like, yeah. I loved it. Like, can we yeah. do more of this?
1: Yeah, it's like,
0: have we piled too much onto onto this church service?
1: Mm. Um, So, I mean, one of the conversations that I've often had with people is the whole idea of do we need to come together every week and do the the whole thing, the whole production, for lack of Mm -hmm. a better term, right? Is that necessary? Um, Because, I mean, look, as a non-pastor, most people probably don't think about this as, that much. But when you are a pastor in a local church, the thing that you think about, the thing that I think about a lot more than many other things, possibly things that are more important, is uh, rosters and teams and volunteers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that's always oh, a,
0: dude when someone pulls out last minute.
1: <laughs> it is the worst. It is a nightmare, <laughs> and you're scrambling to find a replacement. A pastor and then you a, can do it. And then half the time you do it. Yes. That is, that is, you're the, because you're the guy who's paid to do it. So therefore, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, we, as pastors, of course, we are pastors because we are worship leaders. We are prayer warriors. We are preachers. We are greeters. We're kids' ministry leaders. We can do it all because that's, I'm being very sarcastic. But, you know, the reality to get is that's. And cleaning. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So all of the above, the tech team, everything. Um,
0: pastors say grace.
1: oh my goodness
0: you can pray too i
1: got i got i got the greatest piece of advice from one of my mentors uh, a few years ago he said that when somebody asks you to say grace at 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 um at potluck or whatever or even Mm -hmm. just a prayer make it short snappy and simple because if you do that then people go ah well that wasn't that that was that was not very impressive oh I guess everybody can pray, you know? And mm-hmm. that's the sort of thing that, you know, yeah, anyway, <laughs> just a weird tangent. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think we've opened up this Pandora's box of all the things that are possible to do mm. and still be able to call it church. And I don't think there's anybody, okay, maybe there were some people. But I think the vast majority of people wouldn't look at what our churches have done during lockdown and gone, well, that's not real church. I'm not gonna you know maybe there are some critical people who would say that.
0: but some people have really appreciated it and like, yeah, oh, this is what it can be, yeah and especially like in churches where there's so much like structure and and tradition attached, like taking a step back and you know, oh, I don't have to get up early and be in a rush. I don't have to put on my suit. I can enjoy my Sabbath. I can enjoy time with my family. Yeah. And yeah. I can enjoy community afterwards. I can enjoy community on Zoom. And recently with, you know, uh, ease of restrictions, some of members from our church, we've been like doing afternoon walks on the Sabbath because mm. the weather has been quite nice and building community that way. And it's been awesome.
1: And that's still church. Yeah. Um, it's, not a, it's not an after church activity. It is, it, the, it it is, is the activity.
0: And yeah. so, oh, like, I remember being in a Sabbath school earlier this year um, when COVID wasn't really a thing, like oh, no one was taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're in a Sabbath school, and one of the um, one of the guys just made—I don't—I can't remember what we're talking about, but he he had this weird hypothetical. He's like, you know, what if you came to church in the future, and there were like, you know, three different options to watch a sermon. You know, you could watch this pastor talk about this subject you could watch this sermon that tackles this issue and then there's another thing over here you you can watch that you got your your a b and c and you, you choose which one you want to watch you you go with a group of people and then afterwards you come back with everyone else and you have talking points from the sermons you talk about what you learned what you discussed and and you um and you unpack it and i remember all of us in the group were like oh yeah that sounds sort of cool that's like Maybe ten years away, and I was like picturing yeah. like little holograms, like appearing <laughs> of people like speaking. <laughs> yes, and you, just, you just click that one. Yeah, but you know that was maybe set in like February, and then in March that sort of became a
1: reality. Yep, yep. I'm like, dude, you got the gift of prophecy. <laughs> how many people? How many people? Like, you have a local church, but I would say very few people have been loyal to just one local church. You know. We've had options, you know. Even is that our a bad thing. I mean, well, that's a thing. Is it? Is it a bad thing? I don't. I don't think it is. I think it's a great thing I mean, to we're see. We're
0: preaching the gospel, right?
1: Well, in theory, we should be. But yeah, that's that's totally that's totally it. Um, I even our local church. You know, there've been some really great resources that Avondale College Church have done for kids ministry yeah. that we just can't replicate. You know, because we don't yeah, have we the, just don't
0: have the manpower.
1: Exactly. And so, you know, when it comes to my local church people are saying, well, What are we doing for kids? I've been able to actually say, Well, here are some really great resources that another church is making mm. for your kids, and it's just as good as if you were living in Currenbong or whatever. Yeah.
0: Or I remember like especially when this like first went down, like I put an email together for our parents. I was like, Hey, this church does this, this church does this, here's some resources here, here and here. Yeah. Cause we just can't
1: do it yeah yeah um all all this is kind of i know that a lot of people will be listening to this and going yeah that's awesome Mm -hmm. um the reality is that Mm -hmm. church isn't just what happens on a sabbath morning or a sunday morning or whatever the case may be but Mm -hmm. i also imagine that a lot of people might be listening to this and going well you're kind of talking about nothing like what what other alternatives are there to my regularly scheduled program, like surely, surely you, you can't be suggesting that our church goes just to do online stuff. I don't know. What would you say to 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 the skeptics?
0: I'm not too sure. You're wrong. <laughs> no. <Nah>. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, well we're on a, we're all navigating this and we're still figuring and working it out. And I think there can be... What about a hybrid model? What about incorporating both or trying to make both work?
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, what I about th-
0: like, you know, especially if we're moving into, you know, especially since we can't gather in massive groups yet, what's what's stopping us from doing more of a smaller group, house community type thing, say, you know, three three times out of the month and then once a month we, we gather more... In a, in a bigger group. Mm. Yeah. Or switch it. What if, you know, it was half and half? Twice a month we do this, twice a month we do that.
1: You know, one of the things that we often decry about, like, a lot, one thing that I often see people talk about negatively about our culture is the fact that we have so many options that it's just turned us into a bunch of consumers.
0: Mm.
1: But is having options necessarily a bad thing? And when I think about that, I think, well, what, what are we doing in the church? We are saying, okay, for this season, we have been um, giving you different options about things that you can do. We've innovated. But once things go back to normal, we're going back to 11 o'clock is the only time that you can have spiritual mm. nourishment from a congregational point of view. Um, you are limited to going to see whoever's preaching on the day whoever's doing the worship on the day, whoever's doing your study lesson on the day or the night or whatever it is that you've got. But what I'm hearing is that maybe giving people options might be more effective for maybe attracting people who didn't have uh, interest before or, Mm. you know, new inroads. In a
0: sense, we're confining what, what Adventism looks like or what the gospel is and, you know, this is it, this is all there is. But people have preferences. People have, you know, things that they're more drawn towards. You know, I, I remember I had it explained to me once. This is an older guy. This is like a guy in his 70s talking about church. And he's like, you know, look at a car park a lot. Do you see all the same car there? No, you see different car. You see Utes. You see small cars. You see big cars. You see fast cars. Because you see, you see red cars, you see blue cars. You see white cars, you see green cars. People have preferences. People have tastes. People have things they're they're more drawn to and attract towards. And you know, with church, all we're going is no. Here's a red car, <laughs> and this is all it is. Yeah. This is all there is to to Adventism. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. When there is so much more out there that we could be showing and providing. I think I think maybe part of the problem is that we're just not used to being able to see Adventism, or even Christianity, with the 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 width and the breadth that it actually mm. truly offers. Um, you know, one yeah, thing because
0: we haven't examined, like we haven't
1: yeah. asked the questions.
0: We're just mm. no, this is it. this is what I'm happy with. Yeah, but we is this all there is?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and look, one thing that I've I've definitely struggled with throughout this lockdown is feeling like just a content creating machine. Yeah, you know, I I have struggled with that. It's not it's not like I can write a sermon for a Sabbath morning service. That's fine, but then on top of that, having to film it, having to edit it down, having to do the sound correction, the color correction, and not everybody is doing the the same level of editing that I do. That's fine, but most people, most pastors, we still have to film and we still have to do some sort of little editing, whether it's in Movie Maker or Garage Band or whatever. We're just not used to this. Um, but when I when I look at the people who are like killing it online, most of them is not the pastors. You know, it's the people. There's a whole team. In, yeah, there's a whole team. You know, and and it's the people who started. YouTube channels because they were passionate about whatever content, whatever topic, whatever you know issues that they talk about on their on their channel. So in some ways, maybe there's a shift from like the pastoral role. I know this is going into territory that we didn't even think about, but my, my mind is unraveling, Josh. More notes, ten pages of notes. <laughs> More notes, quick, type them down. <laughs> All right, we got one. <laughs> But but maybe maybe we need to start thinking more in terms of the content creators versus the pastoral care people because mm. for many years the pastor has been the one-stop shop for everything but maybe in this new era we need to start rethinking about well am I a content creating type person and we already have the public evangelists and the people who go around the world speaking at different mm-hmm. events that's that's a paradigm we understand. But then when it comes to the pastoral care aspect, um, I think that maybe online gives us an opportunity to see pastoral care move outside of the realm, this little bubble of you and me as the pastor, and go into the hands of people who are participating alongside our ministries, not necessarily just the people who have been paid mm. to do the job. Mm. And I'll, you use the word passion in there. Yes. And that, I
0: think that's the key thing, like, find what people are passionate about, bring them into that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, you know, yeah. passion, passion will drive it because people are wanting to do it. They're, they're driven by it. They have meaning and purpose behind it. Yeah. And, yeah. and now we, you know, as you know, church isn't a structure anymore. You sort of got the freedom to find avenues in which you can be passionate about those little things. Those different things, you know, creating
1: content. Yeah. Mm. Mm. The other thing as well, you know, especially when I think about my, I mean, we can't help but think of our own personal context when we think through these things. Yeah. But I think about my personal context and I have a church, I'm pastoring a church that has no building. So we meet in a school hall. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, so we don't have the security and the stability of owning our own building as most churches do. Um, but we also don't have the pressure of, Uh, maintenance, insurance, Mm -hmm. uh, all that sort of stuff. And I can't help but think that maybe we could give more of a chance for church planters if we started to see the legitimacy in not having to have these huge overheads that you would like. Okay, when you think of planting a church, you can start in the living room but at some point people expect you to move into a building and start paying rent and then eventually you know paying a mortgage right so maybe when we when we think of the future of church planting and discipleship this is like the the next step in the future the next mm. evolution if you will um i don't know what do you think about that yeah and
0: like coming back to like you know, are we so focused on doing it a certain way? Are we focused on that method that we're missing the opportunity for mission? Like, okay, now we don't have to have a building. We can do it online. We can do it in homes. We can do it in our garage. We can do it differently. And, you know, coming back to that why question and yeah, I use Simon Sinek and I was reading his book yesterday and he talked about at, in the 18th century, the um, not 18th, to 19th century, the, the train empire was huge. That's, Mode of transport. There was so much uh, money in, in train and, and building tracks across the America. <laughs> I was where like, we, I've it, never
1: heard of the train empire. Where, where are they from? <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, 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 locomotives. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, building tracks and, and pouring money into that, and it was a wealthy business for these people. But as they transitioned into, you know, the twentieth century and flight became possible they were so focused on their their method like okay we've got to build tracks across america that is the only mm. way we're going to get transport mm. but then flight became possible and flight made it easier to get to places and quicker to get to places that the train business became irrelevant in a sense people didn't mm. want to travel by train or people wanted to travel by flight it was easier it, it soon became cheaper and quicker mm. and if they had focused on being transportation you know why we exist to transport people across across the country then they could have shifted and focused on that but they were so focused on their method their way of doing business laying down tracks that i got left behind and soon all that money ran out and you know with church are we so focused on having a building doing church a particular way that we're missing the opportunity for mission to reach people Mm. and to share jesus Mm. because i think now it's it's a lot easier it's still hard but it's easier to, to share and connect with people. You can find a really good message online, some content that's been created and share it. Send it to yep. a, a friend that you know could really use it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and I think I think it goes back to what we were saying at really at the beginning, you know, and I think I'm very convinced that we are going to be impacted. At, we as a society, whether you live in, um, you know, Bangladesh or Bolivia, I think... We as a society, post COVID, we're going to be a lot more cautious around um, being around strangers, um, mm. especially until we have a vaccine. You know, I think it's going to take us a while, even post that, to to get over this. You know, when I walk down the street, people still give me a wide berth, and I still give people a wide berth. Mm. Um, you know, that whole two meter rule. Or so when you're at
0: the shops and you're like, is this person standing too close to me? Am
1: yeah. I standing too close to them? You feel uncomfortable, you know. So if you're a, if you're if you're somebody who's interested in faith, chances are, and look, I'm not in this person's shoes, so I, I shouldn't mm-hmm. speak too definitively for them. But I would imagine that if you're the sort of person who's interested in faith, but you are you are you don't have a connection with a local church previously how much less likely are you now going to be to want to just rock up to your local random church to find out more about spirituality? You are Mm. not going to be going to, you know, your local street corner. You're going to be going to Google and YouTube. Yeah. I mean, like,
0: even I love to Google things before I go to them or if I have an unknown number calling me, I'm going to Google it before I pick it up. Yeah. I don't know. Does anyone else do that?
1: No, yeah. yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it, it's the worst when it's um, the the no ID number. when they, they <laughs> I don't pick those up like ever because they're always a telemarketer, <laughs> especially us.
0: Yeah, like, I'm, I'm more likely to, to, you know, our generation of millennials, we're more likely to, to Google something. We're more likely to go on the internet and find something out about that business or that company or that person before we step foot in it.
1: I don't think I've gone to a restaurant in the last 10 years Without first googling it, looking up its menu, and deciding before I go what, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to eat, and if I'm going to want to eat anything at the at the restaurant, mm. you could have the most amazing display out the front of your shop front. But if there's nothing on your menu online that I want, or if I can't find your menu online, I may not go to your restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just how it is. That's just how it is, and I think if if churches. Churches are always going to be visible somewhere and I think we're very reliant on the fact that we are physically visible. Mm. But if you are not visible on the internet, I think that's a warning. That's a warning flag to most people. Um, It certainly would be for me. If I can't Google you and find out, if I can't find your website or I can't find your Facebook page or Instagram account, then I'm going to be a lot more leery about stepping foot onto your premises. And, hey, even as a – look, I'm going to admit this. And um, even as a pastor, I might be a pastor, but I'm also an introvert – so mm. I I know that some Christians can be cray cray or at least seem cray cray. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit full on. Hello, brother. Welcome to our church. You want <laughs> to accept wow. Jesus right now? Praise the Lord in Jesus' here's name. A, here's a little pamphlet. Read this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sign oh, us whoa, whoa. up. Sign up right now. Give us your date and birth of birth you and your phone number. <laughs> you know, like that's that's the world that we live in. And look. So we- we could have a conversation about how to be more self-reflective about that sort of thing. Mm. But if I can go to somebody's, to a church's Instagram page and I can see pictures of people um, who look like me, who I reckon I could maybe get along with them, pictures of worship and I go, oh, that looks pretty cool. You know, whatever the case is, I'm much more likely to want to engage with that church even as a pastor. Mm. Um I don't know if that's just me, but I I just don't think that we can live in a world where your online presence, where you you completely rely on your physical presence and Mm. not your online presence. Um, No. So, yeah.
0: And not only that, like, you know, you talked about being visible online, but I think, you know, church's community, as people, we need to be visibly different to other people, so people ask questions as well. Yeah. We need to be visibly you know, as a group of people, identifiable. Mm. You
1: know,
0: mm. It's not just the fact that we go to a building on a Saturday or a Sunday that makes us different. It's the fact that we, we're trying to emulate and live like Jesus that makes us different.
1: Yeah. And people can see that online and offline. Yeah. 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 Um, you uh, shared a really great example of this paradigm shift to me uh, in the form of Alpha. The, uh, the the discipleship course, Alpha, yes. the discipleship course that has really taken the world by storm, and it seems in the last couple of months has actually like gone completely off 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 its case with uh, its reach and its uh, effectiveness. Do you want to just want to share with us sort of what that is and all that sort of thing?
0: Yeah, yeah. So for those who don't know, Alpha it's just like a, a short course into like Christianity, really basic, in um, a really basic concept, like you'd get together at someone's house you'd share a meal together and you'd um you'd watch a watch a 20 minute video and then talk about it afterwards and so it was built around getting together it was built around going to someone's home which physically became impossible and um nikki Gumble, he's the guy who launched and started alpha and you know he's passionate and big on it and when this all went down he sort of said i don't see the point in online. i don't i don't see it working online he was really hesitant to doing anything online but then he saw a shift and he saw potential and opportunity for growth exponential growth and people reaching in and, and consuming it and interacting with it in a way they hadn't before and there's a few points he says you know online might be opening a door to your friends who never would come to church otherwise
1: and that's the I years, think that's what we we're well, saying yeah. you know like it's opening doors to to, to to homes that you would never be able to reach any other way. Like there are some mm. people who could very easily live their entire lives, even if there was a church down the road from where they lived or next door, they could go their entire lives without engaging with it if they wanted to, if it was just physical. So, yeah, sorry, go on. Mm. Uh,
0: you know, he wasn't opposed to other churches doing online ministry. He just didn't see benefit in his ministry being online, but then he shifted and he said when the coronavirus pandemic hit, they were forced online. As a result, he learned that he had been wrong for years. He had seen so many positive things come from online ministry. He's seeing non-Christians, friends actually watch services for the first time in news because online is easier to show up than in person alpha his ministry that has led millions of people to faith in Jesus is seeing even better results during this season
1: hmm. Hmm. that's and interesting
0: he makes the suggestions that people will open up faster in a virtual meeting than in-person meeting I'm not sure about that one
1: huh that's interesting what do you think I, I've had some pretty awkward zoom meetings over yeah. the last few months
0: <laughs> I feel like zoom like makes it more awkward sometimes. but
1: having said that I have found sometimes that it's easier to open up to people that you don't really know than people mm. that perhaps, you know, better on offline. Maybe, I don't know.
0: He sort of suggests that because people are in their homes, they feel more comfortable with it right? So because they feel at home. They're not in a stranger's place. They're not mm-hmm. in an environment. That they're in their home. They feel comfortable with opening up.
1: I, and I if suppose-
0: they say something, they can just like bail out. All right, leave. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to just drop everything and, on oh. and,
1: and go. Have you have you ever used the the excuse? Oh, my phone is like at one percent. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> gotta go, gotta go. <laughs> I haven't I haven't used the excuse, but I've ha- I've heard it so many times. i will be like, oh, yeah. So you can't plug your phone in. You just mm. want to leave. That's okay. You can just leave. It's no worries. Mm.
0: Um, oh, but I think with online, like especially with something like Alpha, could we offer as a church like short term? Courses, short-term, mm. like Bible studies through
1: online. Nah, like, right you know, we got to do, we got to do seven-week evangelistic series,
0: seventy weeks, <laughs> 70,
1: <laughs> 70 <laughs> prophetic weeks. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs>
0: yeah, but this idea of okay, commit for ten weeks, we're going to unpack the book yep. of John for ten weeks, short-term yep. defined, and we're going to do it online because um, you know, lots of people work. They get home five, six o'clock and they have to go to a Bible study at seven where they drive another 20, 30, however long, you know, it's tired. It's exhausting. And they might be committed for like two weeks. Like, yes, this is awesome. Yeah. And they get to week three and I'm a bit tired. But if you open up the possibility to do it online, it's okay. I've come home. I can have dinner. I can chill for half an hour and then I'll jump on Zoom.
1: You know, Adventism started out of the great awakening in the US in the 19th century and I think part of the reason why we still do these really high-level engagement, high-level uh, commitment events is because in the 19th century, people were going to these meetings and people were going in droves. They were flocking to, you know, the the, the Wesley brothers and, you know, mm. all these amazing evangelists back in those, in those times and it was effective. But what has happened, I think, is that, We have continued using the same model, but Mm. people's attention has just shifted. I mean, look, I've got many non-Christian friends and if I was to ask them, hey, I want you to go to a 10-week, (laughs) two-hour per week, uh, (sighs) you know, like on a Wednesday night commitment, even 10 weeks is probably not that long when it comes to some of the things that we do. But to ask them for that level of commitment when they have soccer practice and they have band practice and, you know, one, you know, partner is going out of town for two days and all the stresses and the struggles and the busyness of life, which we can, you know, demonise, oh, life is so busy, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But the reality is this is the world we live in. Um, A commitment to a 20, 30-minute online experience once per week is nothing compared to what we are expecting of people nowadays. Um, even with my church leadership team, we started doing Zoom. We got our we got our meeting agenda knocked out in half the time than we would otherwise. Mm. And even now that we can meet in person, we're not meeting in person every single time. There are certain meetings where we have to meet in person now because we can. But Zoom's still okay we're still doing as much as we're doing zoom right now. now. (laughs) I've been doing zoom with, with stothers for the last year, you know, two years
0: for so much more opportunity in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And coming back to like that thing, like, you know, are we, you know, we put these big commitments on people, but people will commit to what they find value in. Yeah. So we can, can we offer things that add value? Yeah. Cause I think about, you know, F45, like it's a crazy phase and everyone is, Passionately joining it because they see value in it. Yeah, and it's high commitment, but people find value in it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. People find people will commit to th- things that they find value in. Um, which is, I think, <laughs> I think in some ways we have this this sort of um, split personality disorder in the church, where on the one hand we demand high commitment for certain things, but in certain other things we completely drop the ball in asking for commitment from people. Um, I think, you know, especially when it comes to, to to certain things, involvement in in the life of the church, a lot of the time mm-hmm. I found that we tend to back away from that commitment level, um, small groups, uh, serving on teams, that sort of thing. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to help people grow spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, so why would we expect somebody to come to a, a a ten week prophecy seminar, and then when they become a member of our church or get baptized, um, shy away from asking them to serve on a team at a high capacity or commit to a small group? These are all ideals that everybody would love to have, but I just think that we have this weird split personality disorder where. We, we demand a high level of commitment on one level and then on another level, I think we just completely drop the ball.
0: How can we shift that? Do we need to shift that?
1: Well, personally, uh, I mean, okay, not personally. This is not a very <laughs> original idea. But <laughs> look, look, we are a program-based denomination. Mm. So we expect high commitment on programming. Mm but we expect low commitment on discipleship. Mm. And I think if we can shift our church activity to be more discipleship-based and not so much programming-based and expect that high commitment, I think that'll give us more of a return for our investment mm. than running programs. Because um, I don't know about you, but I've been in this situation before where you can be part of a program and you have a role to play and you play your role but you don't actually connect with somebody, and you don't actually have an opportunity to help disciple them. And yes, you might disciple somebody through your music, or through the tech team, or through the speaking, or whatever, if you're involved in a program. But discipleship happens on a on personal a one-on-one basis. basis on a personal basis. Small group.
0: I mean, Jesus what had twelve and discipled three really closely. Exactly. He
1: had he had his thousands and his hundreds of followers. Yeah. From a, from a from a distance, but then he had those few that he focused on. You know, that's what discipleship is. He, he demonstrated is this, that for us.
0: Is this pandemic the fact that church is closed, allowing us to go back to the core of discipleship?
1: Well, it, is it? <laughs> well, I think that's the question. That I, I don't think it's so much a question of is the pandemic, but I think the question is, are we leveraging the opportunity that yes. has literally fallen at our feet?
0: Or are we yeah. so fixated on, no, I need to go back to the way it was because that's what I'm used to.
1: Yeah, yeah. If we were to poll all of our churches and if, then if we were to poll, you know, the, the, our general public and ask them if they would be more happy, less happy, not happy at all of ch- going back to the way things were, I'd be really interested to know <laughs> what the feedback would be. Right, let's you start know.
0: up a poll. Let's get it going.
1: Let's get it going. <laughs> my, my suspicion from what I've seen from Barna and some of the other research groups mm-hmm. is that the majority of Christians uh, would be excited to see something change. I, I, read, I did read a study some time ago. Um, I'd have to pull it up to be able to get the exact numbers, but it, it was a fairly high percentage of people saying that they would think it would be a shame if church just went back to the way things were. If we truly mm. saw this as a, a blizzard or even just a, a brief storm, um, then rather than this ice age paradigm, I, I, I think that that is where people's hearts are at. But I also think that the majority of Christians, if uh, they are not led to mm. to to actually participate in that change, will probably fall back into the same routines and rhythms fairly easily. That is my suspicion at least. Mm. And
0: I think, yeah, like we need to be creative and innovative here. Like we got the opportunity and we're not going to know what it's like, but can we can we try things? And, mm. you know, if we just keep asking people what they want, we're just going to keep doing the same things and what they used to. We got to, we got to delve into and dive into the unknown and yeah, it might be scary because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what it's going to look like, but we're just going to try it. We feel God led in this space. You know, I have a somewhere on these notes. I remember I had a quote from Henry Ford, you know, if I asked the people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: And you know, if church, okay, we ask the people what they want. I want this service. I want, more contemporary music. I want more traditional music. I want Sabbath school at this time. Sunday school at this time. You
1: know, I, I think it sounds. I think it sounds somewhat condescending. But I think what you what you're saying is is so true. In the sense, it sounds it would sound condescending to say that people don't really know what they want. But I think in some cases that's kind of true. It's. I think it's the same principle of you don't really know that you want the next Apple product until you see it and you go. Where have you been this my entire life?
0: But <laughs> I come back to that, like the why, um, you know, and if you drive the why and you buy people into the why, then they'll, they'll, they'll love it. Like, again, Apple is the perfect example. When the first, um, when the iPod came out, there were other devices on the market, that the same thing. But the way he sold it, it was, you know, a thousand songs in your pocket. Yep.
1: Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that blew people's minds. Yeah, but there are other devices on the market that did the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true, it's so true. I think that's something that yeah, Apple has done so well is that they they create they create this idea of being part of something profound, almost spiritual and certainly exciting and innovating that when you buy an Apple product, whatever the product may be. and look i think apple's maybe lost its way a little bit with its marketing the last few years but certainly in that steve jobs <laughs> era mm-hmm. like to be i remember as a young like teenager like starting to work and starting to earn my own money and i wanted to purchase apple products because it made me feel like i was a person a, a person that was part of something bigger than me and yes something really interesting and exciting and that if, and look, this is all marketing, and so I was totally mm. manipulated. Um, <laughs> I'm sold, I'm sold <laughs> because the reality but, is, my yeah. MacBook Pro is just a laptop, you know, and my my iPhone is just it's another just smartphone. Phone. It's just a phone. The
0: iPod is just an MP3 player.
1: But it made you feel like it was more than that. And I yeah. think when we talk about the gospel, the gospel is perhaps the only product. It's not really a product, but it kind of is. But it's the only product that really truly delivers on its promise mm. of being actually better than you can ever imagine mm. and i think perhaps what we've done in the church at least in the west is we have undersold something which we really can never really truly oversell but we can try but we can never because mm. how can you quantify a transformed life in through mm. christ like and i
0: think that needs to be our why like yeah we're we're committed to transformation we're saying yeah. we're committed to seeing lives transformed because of jesus
1: yeah yeah because yeah, I I think one of the things that's really been um, impacting me in that area is is Transformation Church, um, which is one of the the most uh, incredible churches. Like they're doing stuff in the online space, and we've, I've talked about this in the podcast mm. a couple of times. But they're doing stuff in the online space that is just insane, and they're you know but
0: they started small. That was I remember watching tiny. church like some of their church services a few years ago, and I'm like, oh, that's like. No bigger than like Avondale College Church.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it was a struggling church for many years. Like with the previous pastor, he got it to a certain size. I mean, not that size is everything, mm-hmm. but in terms of reach and growth, and you know, out, spiritual output and and transformation, he got them to a certain place that many of our churches are at today. The reality is, they have not taken that long to get to where they are today. It's actually. It, it's. I'm so jealous. You know, I'll be. I'll be honest. Like their 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 output and um and what they've been able to do with with a small a small um, humble beginnings is mm. pretty insane. So, mm. kudos to them. God is de- God is definitely blessing them, and I think that's probably what it comes down to. Is yes, they've got a really killer marketing team, and yes, they've got some really killer graphics. But really, at the end of the day, all that stuff is fluff. The reason that they're growing and the reason that they're actually Making the impact that they are today is because they have been faithful to their mission. They've been faithful to mm. that why.
0: And they're just looking for different ways in which to achieve that mission.
1: And God is blessing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you talked to me uh, before we got into this about another book that you uh, <laughs> were reading.
0: Both I Josh think- and Josh Wood have both mentioned this book before on the podcast. The <laughs> third Josh is mentioning this book. Everyone go and buy
1: it. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure of the people that have mentioned this book, you're the only person that's actually read it or, or yeah, I've something. Read
0: it, I've read it from start to finish. I've, I've read the whole thing. <laughs> I actually I'm considering rereading it. There were some parts that were really good.
1: Yeah. But, so but I, I think maybe this is me. this this might be a good place to land the plane. But there it is. If you're watching, you can see it Reappearing now. Reappearing Church. Reappearing Church by Mark by Sayers. Mark who, Sayers. Who, a fellow Melbournean.
0: Fellow Melbourne.
1: Yeah. Is that how you say it? Melbourneite? Yeah, Melbourne melbourneian
0: <laughs> coffee snob or coffee stop
1: <laughs> look at me look at me all right um tell tell us about the book and um yeah help us to understand how it fits into this conversation
0: yeah so uh, the main premise of the book he talks a lot about like renewal and revival and he defines those terms as as such so renewal is the refreshment release and advancements that individuals groups churches and cultures experience when they're realigned with God's presence, or you can define it as the resumption of our God-given per- purpose to partner with God fully, participating in his plan to flood the world with his presence. So that's renewal. So coming mm. back into align with what God is wanting to do in this world. And revival is when renewal occurs on a large scale, bringing significant advancement, growth and kingdom fruit to a city, people group, movement, region, or nation. Revival is renewal gone viral. Wow. And then he digs into renewal and he says that this renewal happens when individuals come to the end of themselves, And it's often in the midst of crisis, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a season such as this, when renewal occurs because our way of life is disrupted. We mm. hit that ice age. The way things were are no longer what they were. And it's not, from a big group of people that renewal happens, but it's from a small group of people, a small committed group of people. And so is this a time where we can see renewal? Is this a time when we can get together in our small groups with committed followers of of, of God and just dig into that?
1: I definitely think, you know, well, marks I've been following his, his work with uh, the Rebuilders podcast and um, some of the other stuff that he's been involved with, but he's been saying some pretty pretty startling things um, one of the things that really jumped out to me was it was talking a while ago about how the rate of religiosity or spiritual spiritualism or spirituality is actually mm. increasing throughout this um, crisis time that more and more people are actually starting yeah, to reach out prayer
0: like prayer was on a, a massive spike increase on Google people what is prayer how do I pray
1: I think there's something that happens when you are stuck at home and you have all the distractions and all the toys at your fingertips that you have in your home. Some people have more than than others and that's fine. But I think there comes a point where all the entertainment, all the Netflix, all the the baking and all the other stuff, like there comes a point where you start to go, actually, what's really truly important to me, Mm. you know, I've been filling my life. I've been filling my hours because I got nothing else to do with all this stuff. But there's up. There has to be something more. Maybe mm. it's time for me to start digging into some of this stuff that I've been distracting myself from. That I've been pushing down. Things like spirituality. What is prayer? What is who is God? What's this this whole thing what's all, all about? about?
0: Yeah. Is there more to life? Is there more to life? Is there something bigger than just me and this? And in a sense, like we've lost our control as well. Yes. Um, we realized we weren't in control and that we didn't have it all together. And okay, my way of life is disrupted. I yeah. have big questions now. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. And, and he says, like, you know, almost always renewal will occur in hidden places of obscurity, in a period mm. of isolation in which deep roots are grown for influence that is to come and resilience and presence built for resulting change. Wow! And so, right now, are we being led into a hidden place where God can work? We're being forced back into our homes, and in a sense, small groups. And in that time, can we reach out? Is this a is this a desert? Is this a wilderness period for us, where we can turn our eyes on God and fixate on Him, and not our way of doing things?
1: Hmm.
0: Especially not only in secular life, but in church life. Like, hmm. just because we like it, does that mean God likes it? Hmm. hmm.
1: And, and I think in many ways being, you know, we had this discussion on the church being such a programs-based sort of experience. The fact that programs are now at a bare minimum means that we now have more time to self-reflect on our own motivations. Mm-hmm. Have we just been distracting ourselves? Have we been so busy with the act of church that we haven't been able to be the church? Um, it goes back to what you were saying at the very beginning about being church Um does he? There are a few examples I think he uses about renewal and revival that have happened throughout history. Are there are there some examples that you would chuck out to us about? If if this was to happen again today, what did it look like back then? Back then.
0: So he, he uses illustrations all throughout the book, but a big one that he always comes back to is like the 18th century with John Wesley. Um, he's a big on. He's a big John Wesley fan. If you read the book. Um, <laughs> But that was a massive time of uh, cultural shift in in England, because uh, they had the Industrial Revolution. You know, people were moving to the city. The way of life was totally different. You know, people could afford more and more. Um, the way of living w- was changing. And uh, groups, I guess, you know, prior to that, they were very, you know, it was a very religious society. But at the st- turn of the Industrial Revolution, they stopped becoming as religious. People were mm. becoming more and more secular. People were you know delving into other avenues you know drinking was on the increase Um, crime was on the increase there was you know you know church was on the decrease but it was during this time where where john wesley really committed to small groups really committed to seeking god's presence and it was you know through this that Revival began to spread across England through John Wesley, through these small groups of people that spread and influenced England, and then in turn influenced the Great Awakening in America.
1: Hmm.
0: Hmm. Um, And it was a disrupt in the way life was done, or going back even even further, um, after the Roman Empire fell, he talks about the Celtics, the Celtics. How do you pronounce it?
1: I think I say Celt. Yeah, I think I say Celt. Um, Is the basketball team the Celtics? Is that how? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's where the confusion comes so in. So
0: <laughs> after, after, you know, the Rome fell, there was a bit of um, unease, uncertainty, mm. you know, Christianity. How was it going to spread? And there was this group of, of Celtic people who took the gospel beyond the Roman Empire. They went beyond the Alps and they went into to places that it hadn't been before. Mm. But it was from the, the fall of Rome from this collapse in the empire that led this group to go out. Yeah. Or he uses this German town, I don't know how to, I'm not even going to try pronounce (laughs) pronounce it. I'm like already struggling here. But in 1682, two thirds of the town died due to a disease. Yeah. And there was this guy called August Hermann Frank. And he was, he was religious, but he wasn't really committed to it. But this sparked something in him and he started small groups praying seeking god and from that it transformed the town he brought people in he started providing and meeting their needs he started providing you know food and and education and and just helping the ill and it sparked transformation and renewal in this town that went on to then influence this is 1682 it then went on to reflect and influence more of the the german empire
1: Mm. wow yeah. And
0: it's often from the crisis. It's often from when, you know, things seem to be falling apart, that renewal occurs. Mm. Yeah. What if What if this is a moment God wants to use? Yeah. What if God is trying to grab our attention here?
1: Because the nature of, I guess, the kingdom. Oh, wait, it, wait, wait, wait. Yeah? One crazy thing yeah.
0: is yeah. this book's published in 2019. Okay. And on page 31, he asked the question, what would happen if a global pandemic flew here?
1: Wow. Wow. He said, gonna, he said it's
0: gonna disrupt our way of life and cause us to question. This is published
1: last year. That's prophetic, mm. man. That is like, <laughs> like that's potentially truly like in the literal sense of the words, prophetic.
0: <laughs> he was calling it out in a sense. And he said, you know, our way of life, this Western way of thinking, this secularism is gonna come to it gonna come to an end. It's gonna be questioned."
1: Well I guess if you think about it what are the the few things that could actually cause us to question everything you know it'd be another world war perhaps an energy crisis and a global Some pandemic crash. right right yeah but i think you know like the pandemic this pandemic has definitely leveled the playing field as far as who has the most influence and authority especially mm-hmm. in the spiritual world um uh, yeah, it makes me think of um, Saint Augustine wrote that amazing book um, City of the City of God, where he watches the Roman Empire falling, and he he remarks how even though the the times are uncertain and that people are worried about how things are going to turn out, that the church still persists and the church still has to change and morph, but God still uses it. Mm. Um, Somebody told me years ago, and I don't know, it's just something that's always stuck with me, that the spirit of God is always working. It just, yeah. we have to choose whether we want to be part of the spirit's work. Mm. Um, and if if we're not willing, the spirit will choose someone else.
0: Yeah. And uh, so what if this is a moment, but that's what's happening.
1: Yeah. Where yeah.
0: God's asking us to re-examine, to strip everything back and go, is this all there is?
1: And this doesn't have to happen with you and me. I mean, Hmm. it can happen with you and me as I'm talking about in the sense of of church leadership. Yeah. But it could happen with a group of young people from Mwoolumba or from Hamilton, Broome, Cairns, Kalgoorlie. I'm trying to think (laughs) of the most, what's the most obscure Paris? Is it, no, Texas in Queensland or something (laughs) like that. <laughs> there's a there's a town in northern, it's either in northern New South Wales or southern Queensland called Texas. It's amazing. Texas. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, it, it can happen with anyone if we're willing to to listen and to be receptive and to strip away our preconceptions and to, I guess, ask the question, spirit, what do you want of me? You know, like that's it's often to- in
0: those quiet places where God talks. But yeah, we're not as a society, we're not getting quiet enough to hear God.
1: Yeah, maybe God is using this pandemic to quiet us down, to bring us into that secret place, as you said.
0: And one of my just closing with an illustration I really love that He used in here: this idea of fermentation. Mm. Um, and so fermentation is a process, you know, where you where food breaks down, like you think of a, a cucumber turning into a pickle. You put it into into water. You add a bit of salt. And then over time, a a, um, transformation occurs. And I just want to read what what he wrote here. He said, when we patiently wait, contending for God to move, our efforts are not in vain. The longer we patiently and faithfully contend, a process akin to fermentation takes place. Just think of the cucumber that turns into a pickle. The cucumber undergoes a process of being set aside, hidden away in the dark, immersed in salt. It is broken down, yet it does not spoil. Instead, this process releases healthy bacteria, the kind of which scientists have discovered is essential for the health of our guts and our entire systems. The method of breaking down transforms the cucumber, releasing something in it powerfully healing, useful for releasing health into our system. The longer the cucumber is set apart in the process and being broken down, the more powerful the fermentation. A healthy bacteria is produced in them and is released into the system. God controls when revival breaks out. All we can do is step into his presence of growth. He allows the process of fermentation to occur for decades until renewal bursts outward.
1: Wow. Wow. I'm never going to look at a pickle the same way again. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But you're so right. It's that, you know, that fermentation process that really does the transformation. And
0: it's, I think, really hard for us. Yeah. Especially as millennials, we love to have things now. Mm. Can it happen right now? You know, if I'm buying something of Amazon Express, uh, yes. (laughs) Uh, On demand. I want it right now. I'm not waiting.
1: And even that process has brought the Australian and the New Zealand mail system to its knees because of everything that's happening. Like we've experienced that. But one thing that I've noticed about people and about myself is that after you've unpacked all the packages and you've watched all the Netflix and you've done everything to entertain yourself, there's still that gnawing. There's still that hungering. Um so I think, I think collectively God is God is calling out to us, and God is calling us to that deep, that deep work, that fermentation process. I, I made the prediction um in an earlier episode that I think that this is going to be a time when more people who we thought were uber spiritual and committed to the church are gonna step away from faith because they mm. realize that it wasn't for them or that they were actually just hanging in there because of the social conventions or whatever. But that also we're going to see more people who we didn't think were spiritual or had any interest in religion. They're going to step forward because they're going to realise that that's what they really want. Mm. And I'm obviously hoping and praying for those people who are thinking about stepping away. But I think that it's exciting that we we are going to see people who have gone to that secret place and when we come out of this and when we see them online and they're just a, a figure, a number online or just a comment section, we're actually going to start to meet people who have started to do that deep work and that God has actually reached out to them in their homes yeah. where they are.
0: Yeah, can the church come out of this stronger?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, this is so cool. Uh, any any final words, Josh? Uh, I, we're up to, what are we up to? Page three. I
0: don't know. We've, we've sort of been going in and out of pages. I
1: don't know. My pages have been going like up and down. Yeah. 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 No, we, there's, we're on, we're on right now. We're on page three,
0: four, three. <laughs> so we have more well, to go. A, I, I sat down on Friday and wrote a lot of random thoughts.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Good thoughts. Good thoughts. Some but, of them, they're not even like in sync. It was just like how my
0: mind was like working on the day
1: if anybody would like to know how josh's mind works just ask him to send you his notes and you'll be you'll be impressed and you'll be overwhelmed all at the same time
0: where is this going what is happening
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey man i have i've so appreciated this chat this has been really cool um it's definitely stretched me this whole thing has been stretching me um yes. uh um,
0: i've been stretched and challenged
1: yeah but i it's a good place to be in yeah i think so too and I hope that we don't lose that. I hope that we we actually going back to that original analogy. I hope that we actually emerge from the ice age, and we see new life, and we see new growth, and we see the world and the the whole landscape mm. shift and change for the better. Um, perhaps this was just the wake up call that we, as the church, needed to actually do the thing, which especially us as Adventists, we hold so dear, which is finishing the work, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah,
0: let's focus on our mission. Let's keep our mission core. Let's keep our why core and let's keep finding new methods. Let's keep finding new ways of doing it.
1: I love it. And right
0: now we're experiencing new ways, but is this all there is? Is there more? Are we content with just this or are we going to keep going? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. Well, everybody, I'm really, really excited to hear what you have to say about this episode. If you have questions, comments, thoughts, um, anything at all, uh, shoot it our way. You can find us at burnthehaystack.org. You can find everything there from our social media accounts to uh, an email contact form to send us an email. Uh, We really, really love hearing from you guys. So Mm -hmm. if you have any profound thoughts, if uh, Josh has rocked your world to its core, let us know about it then. Um, and if you haven't already, subscribe to Burn the Haystack. Why don't you smash that subscribe button whether you're on... Right uh, now. Right now. Give us a like. Can we get to a million likes? Get some love. No? Yeah, we <laughs> need it. One million likes and Jesse's going to do a reveal. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to do... Um, I'm going to do... Uh, uh face reveal i've already gone past that i don't know what else i'm thinking of like the the old youtubers who just had their voice we're gonna do a face reveal at a million subscribers i'm like come on let's keep
0: it going i think i've
1: given everything away now so there's no mystery but oh well um yeah (laughs) oh yeah yeah do a dare for charity
0: challenge when it gets to a million
1: yeah 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 (laughs) um yeah, so yeah, subscribe if you haven't already, and if you could, if you could uh, leave a rating and a review on your podcatching app that you use, that would be much much appreciated. Um, apart from that, guys, uh, this is our second to last episode for season three. So and I want to just—you
0: have another Josh, don't you?
1: We have another Josh for next week, uh, but we're not just going to have a Josh. We're going to also maybe Ooh. have a special surprise guest. Ooh. So that's going to be that's going to be pretty spicy for our season finale. Um, I mean, I
0: tried to have a special guest on, but he's conked out and gone to sleep.
1: That poor, that poor fella, that poor fella. Can you give us like one, for those of us on YouTube, can you, are you able to move your computer so we can see Samson one last time? Oh, look at him. He's so cute. (laughs) You must have worked him really hard in your walk earlier this morning. I took him on a massive walk. I love it. I love it um yeah so yeah this is our second to last episode uh we are finishing uh season three next week so uh we're going to be going on a, a month break then we'll be back in august oh, first t- what am i going to listen to now I know, I know. It's terrible. You might have to find other other podcasts to listen Pound. to. <gasps> um, so, yeah. So, bear that in mind, guys, and uh, we'll see you for our season finale uh, next week. Uh, Josh, could you do the honours, please?
0: That is Josh and Jesse out.